This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. This is what 1 John 2.22 tells us, but as we know, the Bible warns us both about Antichrist's small a and the coming Antichrist, capital A. The former encapsulate the spirit of the age, the one opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. The latter is the one who, in his opposition to the Lord, will bring a reign of terror to the earth in the last days. Is it possible to unveil this mystery man of history? We're going to discuss it today with Chuck Chris Meyer, attorney and founder and president of Save America Ministries. He also hosts the daily radio broadcast Viewpoint, and he's here to talk about his latest book called Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. So good to have you with us again, Chuck. How are you? Well, Janet, uh, what a privilege. What a blessing. Well, it's great to have you here, too. This is a very important subject. I think more and more Christians are beginning to say, I think I'm going to go back and look at prophecy again. I want to read Revelation again. I want to look at Daniel again. And that's where we really see it first, don't we, in Daniel as this little horn. That's the way that Daniel describes the Antichrist. What do we learn from Daniel when we're studying the subject of the Antichrist? Yeah, and of course, the word horn in the Bible represents an authority, a power, an authority. It's not somebody that just blows a horn, but it's somebody who uh, has authority and power. And uh, this little horn arises out of a confederation of uh, powers or nations, ten perhaps regional governments uh, that I discuss in my book. And uh, uh, this little horn stands out as fiercer, more predominant, Uh, perhaps more charismatic, more persuasive than all of the other powers. And because of that, in the ultimate, uh, what should we say, test of time, these regional powers of the earth will transfer their power and their authority to this single individual. Hmm. And the Bible says that he will gain the kingdom by flattery. And that sounds an awful lot like modern politics, doesn't it, Jen? Sure does. I mean, they tell you what you want to hear. They don't tell you what they think you don't want to hear. And they'll tell one audience one thing and another audience another. And uh, this particular individual is going to be so crafty, Daniel says, and so clever that he will ultimately deceive the entire world. Yes. And there's a good reason for that, because he is the manifestation in the flesh of the ultimate deceiver, Satan himself. And so that's why this is so critical. And interestingly, Janet, uh, as this book was coming out, uh, those who were looking at this uh, from a promotional standpoint around the country, uh, regardless of their persuasion, said, wow, Mm -hmm. 
if there was ever a book that was coming out right on time, it's this book. Yeah. That's right. And and this is somebody who you say in your book is expected to make something of a meteoric rise, right? Like he just kind of comes on the scene quickly. Well, yeah, he comes on the scene quickly, but he comes in, in one sense, like Carl Sandburg, the poet, said, on little cat feet. In, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. other words, he's slick. He comes in and is so persuasive in the midst of a not just a culture, but a worldwide dilemma of chaos, that the world will be virtually screaming for a savior, a deliverer. Mm -hmm. And so everything will have been paved for this individual to come on the scene who will be seen as the ultimate savior, the one to deliver us, uh, the one who will give us hope for the future, the one who will actually fulfill everything that God said that he would be, and he, this counterfeit uh, Messiah, will present himself as the ultimate I am, the provider, the savior, deliverer, the hope, the high tower, the shelter in the time of storm. Wow. And he will emulate Christ. How do we know what he will look like in terms of his view of himself as a divine sort of figure? That's a very interesting question, because uh, he's not going to look physically like Christ because people don't know what, what Christ looked like physically. Right. Uh, so he has to resemble Christ in certain areas in which it will captivate both Jewish and Gentile viewers and uh, uh, those that are, are witnessing what is taking place. Now, what's so fascinating about this is that the Jewish people uh, are not looking for a divine messiah. In fact, on my radio program, I have quite a number of testimonies from some of the leading Jewish voices in Israel who, to a person, have said, we're not looking for a divine Messiah, we're looking for somebody like Moses, hmm. a physical person hmm. who's charismatic, who's powerful, and uh, who will promise us uh, to lead us into, uh, you know, whatever hopes and dreams, and they call it redemption. Hmm. So... We're looking at something that, from a Gentile Christian's viewpoint, is even more deceptive. Yeah. Because we just can't imagine that the entire Jewish group, other than Messianic Jews, would be looking for someone who was charismatic, but not God and not divine. Well, what's interesting about that is the parallel when you when you read the Bible and how they viewed Christ, many of them at the time, they wanted a political savior. They wanted somebody who was going to be effective against the powers of Rome. They were not looking for the ser suffering servant of Isaiah. So mm -hmm. it, in some respects, it, sees the, it seems like the problem remains. So they would be looking more for a political figure. Do we have an indication from Scripture whether or not the Antichrist will be primarily political, or could he also be something of a religious figure, kind of a combo? Well, he could be a combo. And, uh, however, in uh, presenting himself as a combo, that does not necessarily mean that the religious or spiritual aspect is real. Yeah, right. right. Remember, uh, we are engaged in a world of what I call in the book synthetic authenticity, yes. the fake real. So virtually everything in our world is presented as real or authentic, but is fake. And that problem has invaded the entire Christian church. So we are in a situation, Janet, that is so prone to deception 
that it's almost impossible uh, to, in a short period of time, reveal just how serious this matter really is. True. And of course, Jesus, uh, two days before his crucifixion, when his disciples asked him on the Mount of Olives what would be the sign of his coming in the end of the age, the very first thing he said is, take heed that no man deceive you. That's right. And interestingly, two or three more times in that Olivet Discourse, he repeats the warning. And the warning is not to pagans. The warning is to believers. In fact, all of the warnings of Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, are all to believers. Mm-hmm. And we just don't understand that. Yes. We think the warnings are to pagans. Hmm. But Jesus said the pagans are condemned already. True. So he's concerned that the, those who profess his name will endure to the end. So he says those who endure to the end will be saved. What does that mean? It doesn't mean live to the end. It means to endure the massive persecution and the trials that are coming upon uh, we the people. And isn't it fascinating, Janet, that even as we speak, just in the last 30 days, the news from Israel and America is such that persecution is rising against Christians worldwide, and yes, in America, but it's also rising against the Jewish people worldwide. It is. It is. And so we're seeing exactly the scenario that both Jesus and the prophets warned about, and that's why the book is written. We need to get ready to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Well, we sure do. Really, that's a really important point, and I want to dive into that in a little bit more detail when we come back from the break. But this is an important point when the Lord warned us in Scripture that many will come in my name. You know, Mm -hmm. but if he says, go out to the wilderness, that's not me. Don't follow him. I mean, these are such important things coming directly from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. And I want to talk more about it, but we do need to pause for a very short break. Chuck Chris Meyer with us, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming imposter is his book and we'll return after this on Janet Meffer today. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. Or call now 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. What happens when an abortion-minded woman sees her baby's heartbeat for the first time? Here's how a nurse describes the power of ultrasound. When she saw the picture of her baby on ultrasound and saw that beating heart, it was a defining moment that just broke her and She said, I just can't allow this baby to be killed. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in her womb, she'll choose life 80% of the time. 
then we were able to share the gospel. Sometimes we were able to give out a Bible if they're open and just minister to her the scientific truth and God's love. I cannot tell you how many times a baby's life is saved through ultrasound. It's just an incredible tool. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. One ultrasound is just $28 or five ultrasounds are $140. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? Call now. 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Here is the verse, Luke 21, 8. Jesus replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. And this is something that we need to keep in mind, especially in these last days. Chuck Chrismeyer is with us talking about his book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. And backtracking just a little bit before we resume where we were, Chuck, I wanted to get to this uh, kind of a background because you say that we really are primed right now in our world for a purported savior. That's part of why the last days are seeming to be so, you know, wait, a real wake-up call for Christians right now. We pay attention to the signs here. What about this angle on you know, the synthetic on that's uh, authenticity that you talked about or kind of this fake reel that we're seeing and, mm-hmm. and the deception that is really afoot in people saying, we want a savior, we want a type of a messiah. What have you observed along those lines that really kind of perks up your thinking about how we could be deceived, particularly in this age that we're living in? Well, one of the things, we have a chapter in the book called Political Saviors, and uh, just tracking through articles uh, all over the world, the use of the word Savior, 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 uh, in Europe, in Russia, in the U.S., everywhere, this concept of the need and cry for some kind of a Savior. And, of course, everybody means something a little bit different, but they're all looking for somebody, someone to come in and provide all the answers and deliver us. Now, you talk about this amazing term, synthetic authenticity. I mean, try to get your mind around that. Yet Time Magazine, about 10 years ago, had a cover story called 10 Ideas That Are Changing the World. Hmm. Number seven of those was called synthetic authenticity. And you open the magazine, you find out these Harvard business gurus are saying, they're preaching a doctrine of the fake real. Hmm. Now, what they mean by that is that you don't want to promote that which is truly real, because then that will put a target on your back, and you'll have to live up to it. So present something that actually isn't totally real. It just pretends to be real. In other words, synthetic authenticity. Yes. Now, think about that. How can you have synthetic authenticity? It's either authentic or it is not. Right. It's a contradiction. And here's where the problem comes in. And you probably have noticed this. Over the past 15 years, the word authentic became a buzzword in evangelical publishing and teaching. Big time. And the more I heard it, the more I reacted to it. And I thought, if this is so authentic, then why do we have to keep telling people it's authentic? Thank you. I had the same reaction. Yeah, I was going to say, I had the same reaction. I've been complaining privately about the use of that (laughs) word for a long time. Oh, stop it with the authenticity. If you were authentic, we we wouldn't need you to point that out to us. Exactly. It's like Shakespeare said, me thinks thou protested too much. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. (laughs) So why was that necessary? Because the reality is what what has been happening 
for the past 40 years in the, in the broader body of Christ, and we're not talking about the liberal church now, we're talking about evangelicalism. Yeah. We're talking about in the charismatic movement. We're talking about everywhere. What has been happening is the gradual uh, dumbing down of the truth and of the gospel in order to seduce the so-called unwashed uh, to come in to the church and grow our numbers so that we could report to the denominational headquarters how fast we're growing. Yes. And uh, the net result of it is it has resulted in a synthetic authenticity so we were required then to tell everybody how authentic we were without actually being authentic. Wow. So what we have done is actually, you know, the devil wore Prada. Remember that? Yes, yes. So uh, <laughs> what, what's happening is the devil is using this kind of idea to promote a false truth, a false gospel, and to seduce people into a false salvation that isn't really salvation at all. That's right. It's scary. It's very scary. And I was even commenting just a few days ago on how many people I've known over the years for a long time in some cases who always were very strong Christians and they are falling away. I have never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. And I said, we are in some weird times. And I put it out there on social media and a ton of other Christians wrote back and said, I'm seeing the same thing. I've seen all kinds of people either following, you know, falling into liberalism or apostasy or gross immorality, and they're just, you know, renouncing the faith. And, you know, this goes back to 1 Timothy 4, because I know this is one of the passages that you point out in the book that says, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the seducers and how this actually occurs, that so many who look like they're strong Christians are being deceived. Well, first of all, you know the seducers are people who are perceived as trusted leaders. Yes. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in a position of seducing. They're seducers precisely because they're trusted leaders. Now, a trusted leader could be a pastor. It could be a parachurch leader. It could be a, a, an author, a broadcaster, or it could be a good friend. Yeah. How many good friends have been trusted by people to tell them that they should go ahead and divorce their spouse and remarry someone else when their spouse is still living. Right, right. When Jesus said, whoever does that commits adultery. That's right. And whoever marries the one so divorced commits adultery. But we don't believe those things anymore mm, mm. because we've been seduced. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's just one practical application that, you know, would pierce probably 40 to 50 percent of the professing Christian community today, including our pastors. I know. And so we see this uh, while pointing the finger at the so-called immoral out there. And I'm going to do my program 30 minutes after you and I finish here concerning the so-called promise to restore morality in America. Hmm. What, what is morality? Yep. We don't even know what it is anymore. It's whatever we want it to be. Sure. And so the authority of God and his word has fallen on very, very hard times. Yeah. And uh, even the role of God as Father has fallen on profoundly hard times. Think about this, Janet. About a year ago, I received an email promotion from a pastor concerning his book. And here's what he said. Jesus I love, but I don't much like his dad. That's awful. You know what he was saying? He was saying, the Father represents authority to me, and I don't go that way anymore. I'm all about touchy-feely, lovey-dovey, however I want to interpret Jesus. Now, this is how the deception is coming. Yeah, 
Yeah. And it comes in in ways that for the most people, most people, it's somewhat imperceptible. But when you look back on it, it's like a missionary who left America for 10 years and comes back and they don't even recognize their own country. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was thinking of that recent survey, you probably saw this, that revealed most pastors say adultery should not permanently disqualify you from the ministry. Mm -hmm. And you look at that sort of thing and you say, well, well, what kind of havoc would that bring into the church, especially at a time when you have a big pornography problem, uh, not even among just laymen, but also pastors? And I think the moral credibility of the clergy is in the toilet. I mean, if you look at some of these surveys that are done and they talk about the most trusted professions, the clergy is way down the list and the clergy ought to be number one. I mean, that's another sign. It's just astounding, Janet. And uh, so if anybody thinks that the issue of Christians dealing with and having to identify the spirit and the characteristics of this coming imposter, if they think that's not real, and they don't have to be concerned about it, they're living in a fool's paradise. Well, you're right about that. So in identifying the coming imposter, clearly we have some guidelines in Scripture. We know some of these things, and and you get into it in more detail in your book. But Mm -hmm. what would you say to believers about being aware and being discerning right now and, and really being able to read the signs of the times by the standard of the Word of God? Okay. First of all, let me say this. This book is not about sensationalism. Right. It's unlike any other book that I'm aware of that's ever come out concerning the Antichrist. This book is about the reader. Yes, it helps us to identify uh, the characteristics of this uh, fellow that's going to be so deceptive. On the other hand, it's all about us. That's what Jesus was concerned about. That's what the apostles were concerned about. They were concerned about us. And so this book helps us to develop a strong faith and discerning spirit amid the deception and dissimulation that's taking place out there. Now, uh, we know that the number one characteristic of the deceiver is deception. Mm -hmm. He's a liar from the beginning, Jesus said. Therefore, we should expect deception or lying to be one of the premier characteristics. Hmm. Well, if he comes in by flattery, that's a form of lying. In fact, the Bible warns us about flattery, and it says flattery lays a snare. And yet our flesh wants to be flattered. So if Christians are not walking in the Spirit, but are walking in the flesh, which the majority are today, because that's our culture, Hmm. we're already set up for deception. Yes, we are. So what this book does, Janet, is help people that are sincere, but just don't know how to come to grips with this, and all concerned about how difficult, for instance, the book of Revelation may be to understand and so on. This book removes all of that difficulty. Right. And helps us to come really clear. Janet, you know I was a trial attorney for 20 years in California before the Lord called me to leave the practice of law at the height of my career to plead his cause in the land as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Now, as a trial attorney, I had to speak a language that a jury could understand. Sure. This book speaks the language that people can understand. Are there any words in there that might be unfamiliar? Yes. But when you look at the total of it, oh, 
it is going to be so easy to understand. Which is great. And to receive and apply. And therein lies the importance of this book. Good. It's not just about information. It's about transformation. Well, that's so important in these days. The name of the book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter by Chuck Chrismeyer. So good to have you here, Chuck. God bless you, and thank you for being with us. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you. All right. God bless you. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Ever since Jack Phillips, the Christian owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado, came under fire for refusing to bake cakes with pro-LGBT messages, many of us have asked, what would happen if the tables were turned? What if customers who opposed homosexuality asked a homosexual baker to create a cake with that message? While it actually happened recently, a member of a conservative Catholic group asked Detroit-based lesbian baker April Anderson, who is in a so-called same-sex marriage, to create a cake with a message message that read, homosexual acts are gravely evil, with a Catholic catechism reference after it. Well, this baker named April Anderson decided to fill the order, but in her own way. She created a layer cake with rainbow decorations and the message, God is love and love is God on the inside of the box. And a written note was accompanying it. And it said, we feel the only grave evil is the judgment that good Christians like yourself impose on folks that don't meet their vision of what God wants them to be. Well, guess what happened? The media Loved it. So why is it that a lesbian baker is praised for refusing to convey a message with which she disagrees, but Jack Phillips has had no end of criticism for his stance? Jack actually just wrote a column about this over at Newsweek. We're going to check in now with one of his attorneys, Kate Anderson, Senior Counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom, where she is a key member of the Center for Conscience Initiatives. Kate, so great to have you with us. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. This is interesting because it would seem that this lesbian baker is making Jack's point that you should not be forced to create a cake that conveys a message you don't embrace as a baker. And Jack even says in his piece, that's a choice she has the right to make. What are your thoughts about this situation? Absolutely. Well, artists should be free to decide what messages they can promote. And that's something we've been saying throughout Jack's case for years. Um, Now we are seeing, as you said at the beginning of this piece, um, how this plays out when the issue involves the other side of this ideological point. Um, You know, political winds change. And if you have a government that can force somebody to violate their conscience because of something like same-sex marriage, uh, the government can do that on the other side. I think it's interesting that we're seeing the media come in and support April so much um, when they were so hostile to Jack. Um, But it's the exact same principle in both cases, as Jack said in his article. um, He and April should be free to decide what they can promote and what they can't. Yeah. And you know what's so funny is it reminds 
me of what happened with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. People will remember that Jack won that Supreme Court victory over the unequal treatment he received from that commission. But that commission, if memory is serving me right, said it was fine. If you were on the other side of the issue, you did not have to bake the cake. They even were trying to make this case, weren't they? That if you're on the right side of the issue as they saw it, you didn't have to bake the cake. But if you were Jack and they disagreed with you, you did have to bake the cake. Yes, and that's one of the things the Supreme Court pointed out when the case got to that level. But just to take a step back, Jack was in front of the commission the first time in Colorado because he declined to create a custom wedding cake for a same-sex wedding. Um, At the same time, there were other bakeries that declined messages with a religious connotation um, that they felt like they couldn't create. And the commission allowed those bakers to decline um, sort of religious-based messages that violated their beliefs. But... uh, went to punish Jack for declining a message that violated his beliefs. And the Supreme Court, when the case got to them, pointed out that that is not uh, okay. That is hostility towards Jack's religious belief. And uh, Colorado has sort of created this situation where there is this hostility towards Jack's belief because now he's facing other cases. Um, a local attorney filed a case against him when his case went, uh, actually it was the day that his case was taken by the Supreme Court yes. uh, for declining cakes. And so Jack continued continues to face punishment and financial ruin for just trying to live according to his beliefs and make messages that are in accord with those. Oh, yeah. And he's been through so much. What was it? A gender transition cake. And then there was a cake depicting Satan smoking marijuana. I mean, obviously, this is a setup because there is I mean, we understand what a wedding cake is. There's no Satan smoking pot cake. This is just being obnoxious. But I don't see the same thing with the other baker in Detroit who's having a problem with the Catholic who wants, you know, this anti-homosexuality cake to be baked. She also was, it would seem, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily hostile, but she kind of gave it back to the customer. That's not something Jack ever did. He never wrote a note, so far as I know, to the homosexual couple and said, you're wrong, you're terrible, you're, you know, I disagree with you. I mean, he was always a gentleman to his customers. Correct. Uh, Jack politely declined that particular custom cake, but offered to sell other baked um, items to this couple uh, and generally serves people in the LGBT community uh, versus this particular baker in Detroit uh, said that she baked the cake, but what she actually baked was a different cake that promoted her message, um, promoting it had rainbows on it and et cetera. And um, there was a bit of a social media campaign um, in some of the articles that she has posted uh, of people supporting her. And she wrote these messages back to the person who asked for the cake and she's being praised for this. Certainly it's within her rights to decide what she can create and what she can't and to speak her own messages. Uh, but Jack should have the same freedom as well. Absolutely. Can, can you use this situation with April Anderson to Jack's advantage in any way with this upcoming legal action? Well, it's an illustration of the point we've been making in court for a long time. Free speech protects both people that agree with Jack and people who don't agree with Jack. And we're seeing real life examples of that now, um, in addition to the ones that we saw with the Colorado Commission earlier that we mentioned. Um, But it's important for people to understand that this freedom runs both ways. Uh, People should be free to determine what they can create, uh, whether they agree with Jack or not. For sure. So where do things stand legally for Jack at the moment? 
At the moment, Jack is facing the second case brought by this uh, local lawyer who uh, sought a gender transition cake. <laughs> the, this lawyer first uh, filed a complaint with the Colorado Commission, which investigated it and eventually closed it. The attorney then didn't uh, avail himself of the appeal rights, but went ahead and Sue Jack individually, uh, now trying to seek damages, attorney's fees, essentially seek uh, financial ruin for Jack because Jack would not create this particular cake. Uh, So that case is being litigated right now. Uh, The same principles are in play. Jack should be free just as April Anderson was to decide what he can create and what he can't um, and continue to respectfully do so. But that is being litigated in the state court in Colorado once again. Crazy. I mean, what do you make of the level of hostility that's being exhibited against Jack? Here he won at the Supreme Court. It was a rather narrow decision, but it, it did go his way. All he wants to do is just run his business and serve customers and not have to violate his conscience as a Christian. I mean, what do you make of all of the ongoing harassment that he's really getting? It's really sad. The Supreme Court sent a clear message to Colorado and beyond Colorado that we live in a society where we need to accept and be tolerant of each other's religious beliefs. Uh, The government can't act with hostility towards those beliefs. And that was an important piece of that decision. And yet we're continuing to see people in society try to silence Jack or punish Jack because they don't agree with his beliefs. When we're all better off um, with differences of opinion, with open discussion on those things, everyone can think of something that they wouldn't want to use their artistic talent to create a message that would violate their convictions. Um, And we should be in in a society where people can tolerate differences a viewpoint on these things. So yeah. I'm hopeful that as Jack cases, Jack's case continues to be discussed, people will come to uh, a more level place on this. Well, we need it. What do you think it would take to put this issue to rest? Because clearly when you're talking about facing this second suit from this local lawyer, that's one particular legal action. But as far as solving this at the Supreme Court level and giving once for all religious freedom, undermine, you know, making sure that the court says once and for all for Jack and anybody like Jack, you have the religious freedom to decide you don't want to create a message that, that violates your religious freedom. What would it take to put this whole issue to rest permanently for everybody in the country? Uh, there are more cases that are heading to the Supreme Court. Uh, we all probably have talked about the case of Baron L. Stutzman, yes. who's a florist in Washington, uh, who served a same-sex couple for more than 10 years before declining to do custom wedding flowers. And her case is at the Supreme Court again and is an opportunity for the court to speak into this issue once more. Uh, there are also a number of cases involving creative professionals like Jack and like Baronel who just want to exercise their free speech rights and what they create with their art. And there are cases that are headed up through the appellate courts now. And I think one of those will eventually get to the Supreme Court and give the court an opportunity to speak clearly on this issue. Very good. It needs to happen. Well, Kate Anderson with Alliance Defending Freedom. Thank you so much for the update, Kate. We really appreciate what you do. Thanks so much. Thank you again. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this.
With everything going on in our world today, life can seem pretty dismal. We have a pandemic, riots, racial tension, and you might be asking, how can I make any difference? Well, here's one way you can make a huge difference in someone's life, through the ministry of Preborn. Preborn is dedicated to saving babies' lives from abortion through offering free ultrasounds to pregnant women in crisis. And when women in crisis pregnancies see their babies on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, eight out of 10 times, they'll choose life for their children. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the USA, and preborn centers are often situated in the highest risk abortion hotspots, competing with Planned Parenthood for babies' lives. The mainstream media doesn't want you to know that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, had a racist legacy stemming from her well-documented connections with the eugenics movement. If you want to help make a difference in the midst of chaos, please support preborn. One ultrasound is just $28, and five ultrasounds are $140, saving five babies' lives. 100% of your donations Donation goes to saving babies' lives. Please call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Here's one mom talking about what preborn has meant to her. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry, and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. Uh, she's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter, and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby, and I'm so grateful. Would you please join with Janet Meffer today and Preborn in the Cause for Life? When you donate, you'll get a picture of an ultrasound along with stories of other babies' lives who you help to save. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Once again, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I have been watching everything that's going on, just like you have on the news, politically, socially, crime-wise. I mean, every day, it's just, you don't want to get on the internet. Do you ever feel like that? You just don't want to get on the internet today. I don't want to see the onslaught of horrors that are unfolding in the United States day after day after day, much less the rest of the world. But when I was watching what has been unfolding, not only in Portland, but also now in Kenosha, Wisconsin, it really kind of hit me in a fresh way how important it is for us to remember what our founders said about liberty and the connection of liberty to virtue. I had this thought because of what's going on in Kenosha, and this is just very upsetting. There was this, obviously, there was this shooting of this African-American man, and then there was the resulting rioting and setting things on fire. This car dealership was set on fire. There's mayhem. And one of the first thoughts that I had was, how is burning down your own town going to make things better? How is rioting going to make things better? How is throwing rocks through windows going to make things better in your community. And not only that, but how will that stop anybody in the future from being stopped for a crime or resisting arrest or change the way the police deal with situations with people who are, you know, potentially committing a crime and they have to like what difference is this going to make? What difference does it make? Well, it's just rage. 
people are just mad. People are just upset. Here it is. We're stoking the flames of racial injustice, if you want to say that. Nobody really knows all the details about this case yet. But I wanted to play a little bit of this cut here from Fox News about what's been going on in Kenosha. This is cut two. The investigating agency is now the Wisconsin Department of Justice Division of Criminal Investigation. That agency says it may take as long as 30 days till the public starts getting some answers in this case. Uh, The Kenosha Daily News, however, quotes eyewitnesses saying that Jacob Blake was breaking up the fight to which police were responding. It was about five o'clock last night when Kenosha police got a call about a domestic disturbance. At some point, their interest became Blake. He can be seen walking from the passenger side of the vehicle around to the driver's side. Clearly, the officers have weapons drawn. Reports say Blake had been tased, but continued walking. As Blake goes headfirst into the driver's side of the vehicle, one officer can be seen pulling on his shirt as if to keep him out of the car. Then several shots are heard. That video quickly made the rounds on social media. What followed was riots. Numerous cars, dumpsters were set on fire. Windows were smashed. Kenosha police implemented a curfew. The county courthouse and administrative uh, buildings are still closed. And while the Division of Criminal Investigation says they've yet to determine if prosecution is warranted, the Democratic governor of Wisconsin, Tony Evers, tweeted, while we do not have all the details yet, what we do know for certain is that he is not the first black man or person to have been shot or injured or mercilessly killed at the hands of individuals in law enforcement. Okay, but again, that's an irresponsible tweet to put out before you even know the facts of what happened in the case. We, at the beginning of the George Floyd situation, saw a portion of the video, and then the story changed when people were able to see the entire video. Don't you kind of hold back on your take until you know what actually happened? That's not what is happening these days. That's not what happens at all in some of these blue cities and blue states. Now, let's turn for a moment to what is going on in Portland, because Ken Cuccinelli was on the acting DHS deputy secretary on America's news headquarters on Fox. And they were talking about this bomb threat that closed the federal courts now. It's the same tactic that was used during the L.A. riots for Bush one to bring in the Marines in Los Angeles and declare the Insurrection Act. And so Ken Cuccinelli is asked, is that possible now in Portland? This is cut one. First of all, this president has not taken any options off the table, and he's been pretty vociferous about that. Um, That being said, what we're dealing with here is people in the order of hundreds, not like Los Angeles in the early 90s with the Rodney King riots, where it was literally an entire swath of one of America's largest cities. So you're literally dealing with tens of thousands of people potentially violent. You know, the, the, the tragedy here is this is all controllable if the governor would simply continue to back up or back up, she's pulled out her state police, um, the local police and bring in her own National Guard. She has over 7,800 National Guardsmen who she refuses to activate to contend with the situation in Portland. Oregon has the resources to solve this problem, and yet they refuse to do it. Now, what does this tell us about what's going on in the country? It's not just a matter of people who are out on the streets in an act of rage, rioting or looting or doing property destruction or bomb threats against a federal courthouse or any of the mayhem you've seen in the streets of Portland. You now have government officials. This isn't new. We've seen this for the last couple of months. Government officials were fine with it. They were elected to keep law and order in place. That's why we have government in the first place. And they're fine with it. They're going along with it. So you have a rebellion not just going on on the streets. You have a rebellion going on in the Capitol buildings of these states. 
what do you do as a nation when you come to this place? But more broadly, going back to this issue of liberty and virtue, consider some of these quotes from some of our founding fathers. John Adams said, public virtue cannot exist in a nation without private virtue. And public virtue is the only foundation of republics. George Washington said human rights can only be assured among a virtuous people. Benjamin Franklin, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. Do you see what they were getting at? You cannot expect to have law and order in a virtuous nation if you don't have virtuous individuals, not just at the layman level, not just at the citizenry level, but at the governmental level as well. And you see corruption and rebellion everywhere. Moral immorality, immorality everywhere, everywhere. And it's to the point where it doesn't even surprise us anymore, but this is something that is new in the United States where you have government officials who are totally fine with it and the people aren't rising up to depose these people and get them out of office. Recall this governor, recall the mayor of Portland, recall all these people. What are you doing? Why are you allowing your city to be destroyed by these rioters and these Marxists and these anarchists? What are you doing? There's a spirit of rebellion in the air. There is. There's a spirit of rebellion in the air and more and more people are fine with it. Where does this end? Where does this end? And what concerns me is that we also have corruption in the church at the same time. The church has always had corruption because there's always been sin and the visible church is full of sinners and some of them are saved and some of them are not and some of them just backslide or have a bad period of time where they really go off the rails and then they come back to the Lord. But now we've got this scandal involving Jerry Falwell Jr., who's already in trouble at Liberty University. He'd already been put on leave for a while and there was no definite time that he'd been brought back. But now there's this salacious story out there from this pool boy and all these accusations. And Jerry Falwell Jr. came out ahead of the story and said his wife had been having an affair, but then it was ended and he was being extorted. I mean, it's so sordid. I don't even want to get into all the details about it. You can go on the internet and read about it for yourself. But I was thinking to myself, We have had so many scandals inside the church as well. We have had corruption inside the church as well. And it has been shameful, absolutely shameful. We're all sinners. But when we have leadership that falls, how many celebrity scandals have we had in the last decade alone? All of these big pastors who have fallen, all of this, you know, anything involving you know, everything from plagiarism to, you know, abuse of power to sexual abuse to money scandals. It just goes on and on and on. And I think a lot of evangelicals get weary of it. And now they look at the latest stories that are coming out. Who knows if they're true or not? It has to kind of come through the wash a little bit to to get to the bottom of the whole story. And I don't even know if I want to know all the truth. But the bottom line is every time you have a scandal in Christianity, it hurts us. And we're supposed to be the prophetic voice to the culture. How can you be a prophetic voice to the culture and a virtuous voice to the culture when you're continually having to deal with terrible scandals within your own camp? Well, you still can, because if you're a real Christian and you do stand on the word of God, then you can continue to speak it. You can continue to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And remember what 2 Timothy chapter 3 says. 
Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. But then it goes on. You followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance. Persecutions and suffering such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. And he says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Stay in Christ. Stay rooted and grounded in the word of God. And of course, the chapter ends with all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's a wonderful reminder. Stay anchored to Jesus Christ in these days. We have to be virtuous as Christians, even if the rest of the world is not. We'll have to leave it there. We'll see you next time here on Janet Meffer Today. God bless. God bless.